Let us pray. O God, the strength of all who put their trust in you, mercifully accept our prayers. And because through the weakness of our mortal nature, we can do no good thing without you, grant us the help of your grace that in keeping your commandments, we may please you both in will and deed. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen. Our Old Testament reading this morning is Psalm 37. Fret not yourselves because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It leads only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he sees his day is coming. The wicked draws a sword and bends their bows to bring down the poor and the needy and to slay those whose way is upright. Their sword shall enter their own heart and their bows shall be broken. Better is a little that the righteous has than the abundance of many wicked, for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds the righteous. The word of the Lord. A reading from Second Corinthians. I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you and with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ, and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. The word of the Lord. 
This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from those who take away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive What credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners and get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend and expect nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. It will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Father, we do pray this morning that through your Spirit, you would make us those who hear that you would give us open ears um, to listen and to receive your word for us. Lord, strengthen us um, to obey uh, your words. Even when it's difficult, give us that strength through your spirit, we ask. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I should apologize up front for the state of my voice uh, this morning. So over the last couple of days, I've been losing my voice. I keep saying to people, I feel fine. I really do. And I find that the more you insist that you feel fine, the less people believe you. <laughs> so I was saying to someone, I feel great. He was like, okay, get well soon. I was like, no, I don't have to get well. I'm fine. Um, but anyway, but my voice is uh, um, uh, a little scratchy. So again, I apologize uh, for that. So I did do a wedding yesterday, but I didn't scream through the wedding, I promise. So I, I was very even in it, but it was, it was a joyful and, and beautiful uh, wedding. Uh, so I was recently uh, reading an interview with a um, writer pastor named Dane Ortland, and in this interview he um, referenced actually uh, a sermon he had heard um, by Charles Spurgeon, a great um, uh, uh, preacher from history, um, and that um, Spurgeon in the sermon had spoken about that when we read the Gospels, there are many places where Jesus talks about his mission, there are many places where he talks about his identity as the Son of God, there are many places where he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, But Spurgeon pointed out there's only one place actually where Jesus speaks about his heart. Um, And and, uh, Dane Orland in this interview uh, talked about how the heart in the Bible is the fountain of everything we care most deeply about. When we speak about our heart, we are saying, this is what is most important to me. He says, it's our motivation headquarters. It's why we do what we do. And Jesus shows up and says, here's what his motivation headquarters is. Here's what he cares most deeply about. That one verse uh, where Jesus speaks about his heart comes from Matthew eleven twenty nine, where he says, I am gentle and lowly in heart. 
You probably remember that passage. It begins with Jesus saying, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavenly laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I am gentle and lowly in heart. Orland goes on to say this, None of us would ever pick these two words, gentle and lowly, to be what he says is his deepest heart. And that is just deeply consoling. Right? The, the God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and speaking about his heart, Almighty God and speaking about his heart, says, I'm gentle and lowly. And of course, this reality that this is the heart of Jesus, this is the motivation of Jesus, compels us then to come to Jesus knowing, right, he will not be harsh with us. He will not turn us away. When we come to him, we come to one who is gentle and lowly and who says, come to me. It's actually um, right there uh, in our um, stained glass, come unto me. That is the invitation that we have from Jesus. So we come to him knowing his heart, but then also as we come to him and as we receive his work in us, as we receive new life, our heart of gentleness and loneliness grows. So it's no surprise when we get to the book of Galatians and it speaks about the fruit of the Spirit, that one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. Of course it is, right? As the Spirit of Jesus is a work in us, then gentleness will grow in us. And so I want to consider today how we are called um, to be people that are gentle and lowly in heart, right? As we receive the Spirit of Jesus and live out His Spirit within us, that that means we are, again, called to the ministry, to the work of gentleness and lowliness. And in particular, I want to think about what does it mean to lead with gentleness and loneliness? What does it mean to be a gentle and lowly leader? And I realize I say that, and some of you may be saying, oh, good, I don't have to listen anymore because I'm not a leader, and so therefore, you know, those leader people can listen. But I want to suggest that all of us, right, in Christ, are called to places of leadership. And maybe that's upfront leadership in your, in your roles, your various roles in life. Maybe that's sort of leadership from in the middle. Maybe that's leadership from the back. But all of us are called to lead in various ways. I love a quote, actually, from Leif Anderson, a, a pastor that served here in, uh, in the Twin Cities for a long time. He says, leadership is knowing what to do and doing it. Whether that doing it is raising up more leaders or gathering a team or doing the work, but leadership is, is seeing. This is what needs to be done. And again, as those who are called to follow Jesus, oftentimes the Lord gives us eyes to see, here's what needs to be done, and here's where I can step forward in a gentle and lowly way and lead. Whether that's in my family, whether that's in my work, whether that's in my church, right, in all the various places that the Lord gives us opportunity to lead. And I want to look today at the Apostle Paul. We're in 2 Corinthians. We're coming near the end. We have this passage and one more passage of next week, and we'll have gotten through all of 2 Corinthians, which has been both challenging and joyful. At least I've found it to be the case. I hope you have as well. Um, and in this passage, I want to consider how we see in Paul gentle and lowly leadership. Now, as we've said throughout this series, right, we do not want the message to be ultimately be like Paul. Right? I mean, Paul did say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So that reminds us, this is about growing in Christ-likeness. And we have this servant of Christ, right, who lived out, again, gentle and lowly leadership, who lived out leadership in Jesus. And I want us to ask, what are, what are we learning here from Paul as he follows Christ? But again, as we consider this, let's keep in mind, it's the spirit of Christ in us that will help us to be more and more like Jesus. But one thing that the Spirit of Christ provides for us is his word. And again, here we have Paul and his leadership uh, seeking to lead as Jesus um, led, right? I mean, earlier um, uh, he's talked about how he's leading in the way of Jesus. He says that actually a few different times in 2 Corinthians, that he's seeking to imitate Christ in his leadership. And so let's consider that here. 
And the first thing I would say, the first mark actually we see of gentle and lowly leadership is humility, right? Of course, um, it is, right? I mean, if you're going to be gentle, lowly, that is a call to be humble. Now, maybe you hear that and you say, really? This is humility? Verse 11, right? The first uh, of our passage, I have been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I'm nothing. And we're like, okay, even though I'm nothing, that's sort of getting to humility, but it's kind of hard to believe that he really means that after he's just talked about how he's not inferior to any of the super apostles and that he ought to have been commended by them, by the Corinthians. But how is this humility? One thing to keep in mind, I, I believe I would say is, as Christians, um, we perhaps define humility different often than the world defines it. Or we can say humility is actually just being really clear who we are in Christ. And to be honest about that, the, our, our worth and our unworthiness, as actually as we just sang, a perfect song actually for this passage, right? When Paul's saying, I am nothing, he's acknowledged like there's an unworthiness, right? In Christ, um, I recognize, right, my need, my complete dependence on him. And yet he also knows a worth and we can be clear on our worth and our unworthiness at the same time. That's, um, that's humility. And I believe actually we see that dynamic, right? Right here from the beginning in this passage, I have been a fool, um, if you've been with us over the last few weeks, basically this um, passage really um, ends, or really it's kind of right before this has ended, what is often called, called Paul's fool's speech. Because in the speech, he a few times talks about how he's being foolish, but it's kind of being used ironically because he's basically saying, I'm acting foolishly in order for you to see how foolish you've been. And in order for you to see how you've been listening to fools. So that's ironic when he says, I've been a fool. But he is saying, right, I've acted in this way because I want, your eyes to be open. I want you to see that I ought to have been commended by you. Why? Because he's so great in and of himself. No, they should have commended Paul because he is called by God as an apostle to their church, right? He is called by God to lead them. And they should be commending him because, again, of what God has done through him. So when he says, right, in um, uh, verse 12, the signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, the tense there, right, the past tense is actually really important. It's very Pauline that he would say it in that way. Now, he doesn't say, I performed the science of a true apostle, although he did. But the language is actually making it clear, this is God's work. Ultimately, it wasn't me performing signs and wonders. It was God performing signs and wonders through me. And how else are you going to perform signs and wonders other than through the Lord? Right, that term is actually used in the Old Testament. It's used in the New Testament. We see it a lot in the book of Acts. Signs and wonders means supernatural acts. Right, where you see signs and wonders, you know this is not any person that did this. This is God. Right, when people are healed, right, when, when miracles take place, when words of knowledge are shared, you realize this is God at work. And he's saying the signs of a true apostle were performed among you, signs and wonders and mighty works. Clearly that was not me. And so when he said before that, I'm nothing, he really means it. I'm a jar of clay, right? To quote earlier in 2 Corinthians. I'm just a vessel that God has worked through. The treasure is actually God's work. It's Christ in me who has done this work. And again, I believe Paul really believes it because he says it over and over again. We talked about that last week. He boasts in his weakness. That doesn't mean he doesn't acknowledge God's work through him, but he's really clear it is God's work. 
Now, when we consider this, right, we consider that words of I am nothing. If you've been in the church for a while, you've been in the Christian world for a while, you know, oh, yeah, this is what Christians do, right? We find ways to boast that sound like we're not boasting, you know? So we boast about ourselves, and then we say, God gets all the glory, right? You kind of throw that in at the end. Oh, you know, all glory goes to God, and then you think, oh, I sure hope people are impressed with me, right? I mean, I think we all struggle with that, and I talked about that last week. It's a constant battle of this desire to impress, to, to build ourselves up. And again, we can live in the reality. It's not, you know, it's not lacking humility to acknowledge God has used us. But how do we truly live in this? And so one thing I've been thinking about, and maybe you can consider this, is I've been thinking about what are the sort of the, the, um, sort of the gut check that I can say, when do I actually know, you know what, I'm acting humble, but I'm not really being humble. When can I like, sort of be honest with myself? Like This is a sign, perhaps, that I'm more concerned about myself than the Lord's work in me. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking sort of almost like a, sort of like a little barometer, like a measuring thing. And I thought about when I sort of experience disrespect, or more often when I perceive the experience of disrespect, which is actually probably closer to the truth than actually being disrespected, when I can feel sort of that how dare you barometer start to rise, you know, where I can just see it sort of bubbling up, how dare they talk about me that way. Now again, I don't say that out loud, right, because I know I'm supposed to look humble, but I feel it deep within. How dare they? I cannot believe they would show me this disrespect. Now, to be clear, we shouldn't disrespect people, right? We should honor people. Um, children should honor their parents, right? We should honor those who have been put in authority over us. Right? I'm not saying that disrespect is a good thing. But I am saying that when I experience it and my first and strongest thought is, how dare they say that about me? I can realize, ooh, actually, what am I really concerned about here? Am I concerned about the Lord being disrespected? That I should be concerned about. Am I concerned about me? Well, I may not like it, But if I truly believe that I am nothing, in the sense that it's Christ's work within me, then actually I can say, you know what? If they're seeing the Lord and not seeing me, if I'm not getting maybe the credit I think I deserve, all the better. Actually, that's an opportunity to live into the humility that I'm I'm called to, right? That we're all called to, to be gentle and lowly. And so maybe consider, what's the gut check that I'm aware of, right? What's the, the sign that maybe the Lord is reminding me? Remember, Right? It's about my work in you. It's actually about me shining out. That is your desire, and to keep that in mind. And so we see that humility in Paul. The second thing I would point out is that we see his value for relationships, right? That he really cares about people. Now, again, that's, you know, of course, right? We'd say, you know, that's not controversial. So we should value relationships, but often, especially when we're involved in conflict, and this is really a conflict here. I mean, the whole book of Second Corinthians, it can be kind of a hard book to read because it's so full of conflict, right? Conflict with the super apostles, conflict with the Corinthians, conflict with different groups within the Corinthian church. But when we're dealing with conflict, it's very easy to get caught up in, I just want to win, right? I want to win this conflict. I want to be shown to be right. I want others to be shown to be wrong. And we can actually lose sight my ultimate goal, actually, as a gentle and lowly leader, is that relationships would be restored, that relationships would be strengthened, that there would actually be good connection, ultimately relationship with the Lord, but then relationships with one another. And so we see that um, in Paul. We actually, I mean, verses 13 all the way really down to 17, all are sort of, you know, covering this um, strange issue that we've talked about before. And again, I say it's strange because it's so foreign, usually to the way we think in the church today. But that the Corinthian church was offended. They actually felt disrespected by Paul because Paul wasn't demanding that they support him and his ministry. Now, he 
asked other churches to support him. He was not anti-churches paying for their pastors. It's important to mention that when you're a pastor. Um, but actually, in for whatever reason, his relationship with the Corinthian church, he did not ask them to support um, him financially, right? And we actually see why in this passage. It's because he actually felt like to do that would be putting a burden on them that would harm his relationship with them. And so he is being defensive here, right? I mean, he's, he's explaining, this is why I haven't asked you for money. I'm sorry if you feel like I've been craftier, been manipulative. But, but you, know, you know, he even you know, looks to Titus and says, look, I mean, clearly I wasn't sending Titus to manipulate you. He's really wanting to make it clear um, what his motives have been. But the heart of it is, I care about you. Right? I'm sorry that you've been offended. Actually, my purpose was actually the exact opposite. My purpose in this was that our relationship would be strengthened. We see, once again, the strong father language that's so strong in Paul and so strong throughout First and Second Corinthians. Right? That I, I'm like a dad who actually has not wanted to you know, make his children pay for him. Right? I, I've wanted to support you. That's the dynamic here. I think of all these words, right, the most powerful at the end there, or actually halfway through, verse 14. For I seek not what is yours, but you. Right? My concern was is that if I sought money from you, you would actually take that, that that's more important than you. I'm not concerned about ultimately what you have to give me. I'm concerned about you and my relationship with you. That's what he values. And it's very striking, actually, when we read this passage about how vulnerable he's making himself, right? I mean, to say, right, you're my children. I love you. If I love you more, am I to be loved less, right? I mean, it's really vulnerable. I mean, he's really being open. I don't want our relationship to suffer. I'm so sad, right, that my lack of asking you for money has actually sent the wrong message. And again, I think when we value relationship um, and lead in that way, it puts us at times in a vulnerable place. And it actually puts us in a place where in order to restore those relationships, there's a, an openness and a sharing of our love that can feel actually risky. My uh, wife, Molly, was recently um, giving a teaching for Gregory House. Some of you, I hope, are familiar with Gregory House. It's sort of the ministry school um, we have in our um, diocese. We actually have a Gregory House North, and Molly was teaching at that. And then um, that takes place here at Church of the Cross. Um, and then there's uh, a Gregory House in uh, Wheaton. Um, and then um, last week, Molly was down there. I'm teaching there um, as well. And in her teaching, she was talking about how sometimes um, uh, people going into ministry, and I'm sure this is true for lots of jobs, counseling and teaching, and I'm sure we could list a long list, but that one message is given is learn um, or develop a thick skin, right? If you want to do this type of work, you better develop a thick skin because you at times are going to be insulted. You're going to be involved in conflict at times. And so make sure your you know, skin's nice and thick. I remember uh, there was a bishop who used to talk about how you know, spitballs are going to come at you all the time. And you just got to comb those spitballs out of your hair was the image he used. It's kind of a gross image. But sorry, now, now you have it in your heads. Um, uh, but again, and, and there's some truth to this, obviously. Right? I mean that we can't be thin-skinned in the sense that any slight we overreact to. But Molly was you know, saying that's really not ultimately biblical to develop a thick skin. Right? I mean, look at the words of Jesus. Right? The very challenging words from the Gospel of Luke that we just heard read to us. Right? Does that sound like Jesus is saying develop a thick skin? Right? You know, he doesn't say ignore your enemies, don't be bothered by your enemies, you know, don't worry about those um, who mistreat you. He's saying, actually, you have to love them. You have to pray for them. You are called to be merciful. And that's not a thick skin, right? That's a generous, loving, lowly, and gentle heart. 
towards even those who hurt you. And again, we can only do that with the help of Jesus. I mean, it's, it's very clear. If we are going to value relationships, right, it's the spirit of Christ who gave his very life so that we might be in relationship with him, that we need his help. Now, to be clear, and I think it's always worthwhile when we read passages like this, to be clear, right, I do not believe this means if you're in an abusive relationship, if you are suffering from abuse, that you should stay in that relationship. At times, unfortunately, passages like this have been misused and actually been told to people, continue to be abused. I do not believe that's what Jesus is saying. We know that Jesus valued justice. We see that in Psalm 37, right? Vindication, right? And justice, we honor those and look forward to those and work towards those. But even in a situation, right, where there is abuse, right, where where right boundaries must be made, right, and separation must take place, and sometimes, right, often a complete and total separation. Even there, I think the Lord is saying, watch your heart. Can you still forgive, right, those who have hurt you? Can you still pray for them? And that's actually, again, calling for a a mercy I believe is hard to, to show apart from Jesus. So that's, again, I believe, as we think through what does it mean to value relationships, it's to have this heart of Jesus that continues to show mercy. Again, as I was thinking about this and thinking, so what's my gut check? What's sort of the barometer where I say I'm not living this out? As I realize when I say of someone, I'm just done with them. Right? I'm just done. That Peter Berg, I'm just done with him. I've never said that. So I, I, I love working with Pete. But, but, right, but that's, you know, that's kind of my gut check when I say that. It's like, huh, what am I meaning by that? Now, am I meaning a, a proper boundary needs to be formed? That's okay. Again, I think that's often the case in, in various things in life. If I'm saying I want nothing to do with that person, it's usually a sign to me that, oh, this has become more about me being right than about what God is calling me to, about seeing the reconciliation in a relationship. Maybe it's more about me being respected than it's about the value for relationship I think we're called to. The final thing, then, I believe that we see here um, in uh, Paul and in his um, words in 2 Corinthians is we see a value for unity. Right, that value for relationship leads to a value for unity. And so in that final um, uh, paragraph there, he again acknowledges, you know, this isn't ultimately about us defending ourselves, right? It's about us in the sight of God seeking to build you up, right? It's for your upbuilding. But then he acknowledges in verse 20, but I am worried, right? I mean, he acknowledges, I fear that when I come, I may find you not as I wish, and that you may find me not as you wish. Again, humility, right? He's acknowledging, I'm worried. I'm concerned that when I come there in person, things aren't going to be good between us. He's being very honest, right? Because perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder, right? A long list. These are things that we may experience when we're together in person. He clearly does not want that. He doesn't want that to be the case, but he realizes that may be the case. And why? May that be the case? Well, we've gotten a lot of um, reason earlier in Second Corinthians, uh, the divisions um, that they've experienced, but we see it there in the next verse, right? Because I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over those who had sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality. So he's acknowledging, right, part of the reason there's probably going to be divisions among us, between us, it's because there are those of you who have not repented. I've warned you, right, of sexual immorality. I've warned you of the damage it does. And I'm going to be grieving if you haven't repented of that. 
Now, again, to be clear, right, Paul's calling them to repentance. He's calling them to turn away from that, right? He actually makes it clear that when folks have turned away, they should be restored to the fellowship. And Paul is speaking about people in the church, right? In the book of 1 Corinthians, he acknowledges, like, for those in the world who don't know the Lord, right, I don't expect them to, to not sin, right? If they don't know the Lord, um, they, of course, are engaging in activities that are not pleasing to the Lord. But I'm, I want to connect with them. I want to be in relationship with them to call them to faith in the Lord. But within the church, right, we are seeking the Lord together. We are living lives of repentance together. And as an apostle, for those who have not repented when he has called them to that, when he has pointed them the way of Christ, that's going to lead to a division. And so when we read this, we can say, well, if he really wants unity, if he really values unity, then why doesn't he just say, hey, you know what? For those who haven't repented, let's just forget about it. Let's just kind of ignore that. No big deal because we want unity. No, he wants unity, but he wants unity in Christ which means seeking the Lord together, which actually means being a community of repentance. And again, I think that's good for us to take to heart as we seek unity and we know the Lord loves unity, right? He prayed on the night before he died that we would be one as his Father and him are one, right? That's how much the Lord Jesus Christ wants unity among us. But it's Christian unity. It's unity in him as we seek his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness together, as we acknowledge his ways together, as we live lives of repentance. And so to value unity and to seek unity is actually to call um, communities together, for us to live lives of repentance with one another and to seek him together. I uh, read this week a um, tribute, it was quite a long tribute, a really well-written tribute um, to the journalist P.J. O'Rourke, who um, died earlier in the week. I'm not um, um, hugely familiar with um, O'Rourke's writing, but I read some articles by him, and actually someone had recommended um, this tribute to him because it was just so well-written and such an interesting portrayal um, of this writer, P.J. O'Rourke. Um, and in it, it recalled all of his many accomplishments and his great writing and quoted a lot of his writings and, again, was, was fascinating to read. But there was one story um, in it um, that stuck with me um, after I read it. It was actually a story the writer of the tribute had heard from um, uh, another writer. And this writer had shared when he was a college student, he had gone to a book signing that P.J. O'Rourke was doing. Um, and uh, he brought you know, his book to get signed by O'Rourke. And O'Rourke actually noticed um, that this uh, guy, this college student coming to have his book signed, um, was sort of heavy-hearted. I mean, he just looked at me and said, what's wrong? <laughs> like, he could tell something was wrong. Um, and the college student said, well, you know, I've always wanted to be a writer. Since high school, I've wanted to be a writer. Um, and I'm taking this um, intro composition class, and I'm failing it. My teacher hates my writing. And so I'm coming to you. You're one of my heroes, but I'm realizing maybe I'm just not cut out to be a writer. And so O'Rourke actually, during this book signing, said, well, do you have any writing of yours with you? And the guy actually had his last paper, uh, which he got a terrible grade on, uh, from this professor and said, well, yeah, I do. And so O'Rourke actually read it. He said, give it to me. And he said it was five pages. And he sat there and read it during his book signing. And then he said, you're a good writer. Your professor is jealous of you. And that's why he's giving you bad grades. Keep writing. And this guy is now a professional writer. I'm not had that experience. And as I read that entire article, I thought, man, of all the accomplishments, of all the stuff I read about P.J. Rourke, of all the people that, that love him, that was the story that stuck with me. Right? And why? It's the story of gentleness and lowliness, isn't it? Right? A world-famous writer taking the time to actually evaluate a college student's paper and encourage him to keep writing. And I think sometimes when we are seeking to be gentle and lowly, we feel like it's, it's not worth it. 
right? No one sees it. I'm trying to be gentle and lowly, and no one is noticing, and it seems to be fruitless. Sometimes we can really feel that. We need to hold on to it makes a difference, right? To follow the way of Jesus, to submit ourselves to him, to seek his spirit working in us. It does bear fruit. Let's pray for that. Lord, we do pray that you would help us as your people to be those who have your heart. Lord, we, we know we do have your heart through your spirit. So we just pray, give us an openness to continue to cultivate your work within us. Lord, may we know true humility in you. May we know a, a value for others, that people would be more important than, than projects or proving ourselves right. May we know a unity in you. So we pray for your help. We seek the Again, um, your work within us, and we ask all this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.